This is Back to Debbie, a show brought to you by Campus to Canton. This podcast specializes in collegiate football players and their potential for future success in the NFL. I'm your host, Mike V. This is my co-host, Corey P. And we are all done with our conference preview series. And we are moving on to the new year, the start of our second year here at Back to Debbie with a mailbag episode. So, but first, Corey with the news. So lots of news coming out now with uh, some of these summer camps starting to kick off. Um, We're going to head right to Colorado first, um, where they have officially locked in a move to the Big 12 uh, happening next year. There's a lot of rumors of other people that could be joining them as well. A lot of movement going on. So a lot of these conferences are going to look a lot different by the time like 2025, 2026 rolls around. I don't even know what we're going to call them anymore, but it's going to be a lot of movement, it looks like. um, And I'm not really sure what the future of the Pac-12 holds, but... Anyways, heading over to Notre Dame as well, hitting up some injury updates here. Running back Jadarian Price, guy who had a lot of hype uh, in the preseason last year, had a good spring game. He's actually practicing after a season-ending injury last year. Uh, Heading over to Rutgers, where your guy, running back Samuel Brown, he's a full go for camp this summer, so uh, hopefully he can be the guy you're expecting him to be. Let's go. Uh, Yeah, and lead that room this year. Um, I got a small update on uh, Miami Hurricanes running back Trevante Citizen. He just said that he expects to play at some point in 2023, but he's taking it day by day. Doesn't sound like he's going to be ready for the start of the season or anything, but at least some optimism there about seeing him on the field in 2023. Uh, Heading over to Florida, uh, where the Gators freshman wide receiver Eugene Wilson, he's been sidelined with an undisclosed injury. Not sure what's going on there or if it's a long-term thing, but something to watch. Um, Eli Raridon, tight end for Notre Dame, one of the hopefuls to take over that for Michael Mayer there. Um, he's almost 100% entering camp as well. Um, heading over to Wake Forest, uh, where a guy me and you kind of like a little bit as well in wide receiver Donovan Green. He suffered another non-contact injury. This happened to him two years ago as well, where he lost his, uh, all of his 2021 season, I believe. Finally, was starting to make a comeback last season. There was even maybe some hope that he could potentially be the guy this year, but makes you feel a little bit better about Jamal Banks now, I guess, potentially being the guy there. Um Heading over to Arizona State now, uh, where their quarterback battle between Drew Pine and Trenton Borgay. Borgay has been getting the first team reps so far, and Drew Pine is second. There are some people there still hoping that uh, Drew Pine or thinking that Drew Pine can push for some of those first team reps. But so far, it's locking in with your guy right now, Trenton Borgay, first team reps. Um, another one of your guys in in uh, Texas running back, Jonathan <laughs> Brooks. He is running with the first team to start camp. That's all they've really said is that he's going to be taking the first nap as the first running back on the field. Still don't really know how that's going to play out. I still think, you know, Citra Baxter or even Jadon Blue could push for some more time. Uh, but I know you feel a little bit differently about that. And then this is this story just came out. Um, we've kind of been waiting for it because we had some rumors behind the scenes that something was going on at Iowa State with quarterback Hunter Deckers. This was a reason a lot of people were starting to take J.J. Cole a little higher in draft. Some people were wondering what was going on there, but this is kind of the reason this was happening. He's been charged with tampering with sports gambling. He's been betting on Iowa State games, Iowa State baseball, Iowa State everything. So, you know, he's somewhere close to like 3,000 bets have been placed on Iowa State uh, sports. So not sure what's going to happen with him, but I don't know if we're going to be able to see him this season. So... Uh, JJ Cole, maybe somebody you guys should be looking at. 
Uh, just a reminder, guys, we did just release the CFF guide on July 1st. That's 250 pages, team outlooks, projected depth charts, rankings, sleepers, everything you need to attack your drafts this offseason. That's a $20 one-time purchase or become a member with one of our many subscription options, some of which include access to this guide as well as our supplemental freshman guide and our Devi guides, access to all our awesome tools. We also just debuted the brand new C2C Winning Edge, which is a collaboration with CFD Winning Edge to help bring you guys the amazing in-depth work on the school of depth charts, um, statistical projections, returning production, game spread projections for all you betters out there. So make sure you guys go and check that out. Check out our family of podcasts, the YouTube channel, to make sure that you guys are keeping up on everything going on throughout the offseason. I see Corey here is wearing a shirt. We're doing recordings, obviously. You guys never see Corey with his shirt, but he's got no <laughs> sleeves. So oh, we need to go over to home. Yeah, we need it. Well, we need to go over to home field apparel. Get this man some sleeves. All right. <laughs> you don't pay for sleeve tattoos and not show them off. Okay. That's true, bro. Yeah. My name's right where my watch is. So it looks like my watch starts off with my tattoo. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> home field apparel is partnered with Campus to Can. We have a code over there for 15% off your first purchase. This is retro athletic gear from your favorite universities. They're constantly growing their brand too. They're adding university. It feels like it feels like every single week they're adding schools to their repertoire and adding merchandise. So you got to keep monitoring it. But again, Campus to Canton has a code. It is just the name Campus, the number two, and then Canton for home field apparel for all of your retro gear. Corey, we're doing our mailbag episode. We're going to start off the new year. Um, I'm not going to say I didn't have fun doing the conference preview series, but I felt like we started off as a duo very creatively and then I felt like the conference preview series made us not be as creative. So I'm pretty excited now to get off to some more fun topics and just put some good twists on stuff. Yeah. I didn't mind doing the, 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 the preview series. Cause it gives us a nice in-depth look, looking into some of these teams, some of the guys we should be looking after, but yeah, it's, it's off season content. You know, we got, we got to do something. Yeah. <laughs> everyone else, everyone else does it though. I didn't really realize that. And now hey, I guess we beat a lot of them though. We yeah, that's true. We were first. We were first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not first, you're last. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get into the mailbag, right? Uh, so our first question here comes from JBAC95. How do you project a weight gain for Debbie prospects? Justice Haynes is 205 pounds. We are drafting him, hoping he gains, or if not, won't he be dropped down during the NFL process because of size? Um, so Chris Moxley did a study on this, actually, and this is just kind of how I, I go off the stuff now. Uh, Chris Moxley study, just to sum it all up, it's 12 and a half pounds average is gained in college. So when I'm looking at recruits, for example, if some guy is, let's say, 180 pounds, I am not looking at him. If the average weight gain is 12 and a half, like if I'm going to be generous, I want to round it up to 15, 195 pound back, I do not care about for NFL purposes. I know James Cook is like 190 pounds getting hype out of Bell's camp. I'm not believing it. The lead running back is also the quarterback. And then Damian Harris is also there to punch punch it in. So I don't really think James Cook will ever be a high ceiling guy. Anyway, regardless. So I don't look at guys 180 pounds, but Justice Haynes was the example given here in the question. 205 pounds, average of 12 and a half pounds a game during college. These kids are 18. Um, I remember when I was playing football and I was working out, I had a super hard time putting on weight to start because I'm doing so much cardio. Um I got blessed with a leg injury for a whole year. So I couldn't do any cardio. And then I just started putting on a massive amount of muscle because I, I couldn't run. I was hitting the bike, but like, that's not really cardio. Sorry if all the weight, the bodybuilders that think that's cardio, but it's just, it's not the same. <laughs> so, uh, Cord, do you have any other take on that question? 
Yeah, you know, I think when we're talking about Justice Haynes, in specifically for this question, and freshmen in general, earlier in their career, I will give more leniency to them adding that 12 and a half pounds. I mean, if you're going to be looking at a guy in his junior season that's, you know, 180 pounds, you can be expecting that 12 and a half as well. This is this is from freshmen to the end of, the, uh, of their collegiate career. So we have to see some of those. So, you know, I like to see steady growth, you know, not that final year jump a guy like Jalen Rieger, a guy like uh, Travis Etienne did this, and they, but they both tested not probably as well as they wanted to and really haven't carried well into the NFL. Well, Travis Etienne has, but Jalen Rieger kind of faded off there after being a really high Debbie darling right there. So if a, if a recruit is below like 185 as a, as a running back, like you said, um, I'm probably not that interested. I'm going to have to see some massive weight gain in that first year. Um, another guy, uh, um, Tim Alb, a guy from our, uh, from our company as well. He also did a research on wide receivers as well. So I just want to throw that out there. You know, if you guys want to look at wide receivers as well, the median gain for them uh, was about 16 pounds, 15.7 throughout their career, um, right from the beginning of their careers as well. So that's something that I take into consideration as well. So if you're like a wide receiver at 160 pounds coming in, as a recruit as well, that's something I'm not really looking for as well. But those are at least some of the numbers that you can reasonably expect for those guys to gain. But again, remember, these are not for sure numbers. It's not for sure that they're going to gain this. Everybody's different. But uh, Justice Haynes at 205, I actually feel great about that for him coming in as a freshman at 205. Yeah, even if he just hits 10 pounds, I, that checks the box for me. That's all I really yeah. care about. And Corey had a really great point there. You don't want that final jump before the combine, you know, because there's like functional muscle and then there's just like, I'm just working out so I can perform well in a handful of events type of muscle, you know? Yeah. I care about what they played at, not what they're going to do for like a single bench press exercise. Um, it's just different. So, and that, yeah, that was great, Corey, that you put out there like that. Um, next question here. Going over to uh, Sal. I can't say his first name, but I love I, Sal's, Sal's a long time fan. Can you like say Cusomano or something? It's a, I think it's I can't I don't know if it's Latin or something or but it's yeah I think it's I think it's Cusumano. Yeah. Okay. We're probably wrong. We have a pretty bad track record. Of this yeah, time, we so. do. Yeah. So, sorry, yeah. Sal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Sal asks us: At what point do you drop a year one zero in a strictly Debbie league example, Taylor Shetron, CJ Williams, DJ Allen. And I think Adam Randall was one too. Adam Randall actually passed the year one zero threshold with his mm-hmm. final game. Uh, also in the C to C leagues that you are in, do you hold on to them a little longer? Do you want to take this one first or? Yeah. Like I think the answer will be a little bit different for both of us. Cause I know that you prescribe to the street pretty hard and people drop off pretty hard for you off with their head bro off with their head so so i think for me it goes back to somewhat of the initial evaluation as well but like you know a guy like chetron um those are easy ones for me to jump off of because i was never big on chetron even coming out so that one was kind of easy for me but then like a guy like cj williams i was big on him not big but I, i liked him as a prospect and with a guy of his pedigree his measurables um plus like glowing reports He's got all spring. I'm willing to be like a little bit more lenient there for somebody that I kind of liked or a guy like we talk about all the time, J. Michael Sturdivant, who I'm fairly high on as like a top 30-ish wide receiver right now. But he was, again, a year one zero. So I am a little bit, I will give some leniency to guys that I feel like I see NFL traits there. Um, but I think I feel like it's going to be like a contextual, uh, uh, case-by-case basis. Um because like everybody's situation is really different, you know, guys in front of them, guys behind them, if there was injuries, things like that, those are some of the things I take into consideration. But there's one thing with buying back into a year one zero is that you should be getting them at bargain bin prices. You should not be taking 
you know, DJ Allen and, and Talon, Talon Chetron like super high again. They should be coming now at, at cheap prices where it won't kill your roster if it doesn't work out. So when they're at those kind of prices, I don't mind taking a shot. You know, like CJ Williams, you can almost get in around 20 of a C2C startup right now. I'm willing to take that shot and just see what happens. Yeah, so I dropped them immediately uh, in a yeah. Debbie league, <laughs> immediately off the Debbie roster right away. I don't think twice about it. Uh, on the Canvas Can side, though, uh, for example, I had Tobias Merriweather a lot of places. Um, I kept him on one or two rosters because I I think that that wide receiver room is kind of thin. Uh, and I do think Sam Hartman is probably the most talented thrower they've had. I want to say, like, it's been a while. I'm going to call it the last decade, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think he could have some CFF potential there. Uh, as much as I love Jaden Greathouse, I think that's the main Debbie asset. I think that's the future of the receiving core there. But I don't think that is for this next year. You know, it's, it's a true freshman. I'm not really, I, I'm not that delusional thing a true freshman is going to lead a, a whole college wide receiver core. But I think he could have some CFF potential. But for the most part, like, DJ Allen, yeah, he's out. That's a whole new coaching regime is in and everything like that. So he's done. Taylor Shetron's done. Um, I cut him right away. I had a lot of uh, Isaiah Sategna and Samuel Mumbake. They were like very opposite in skill sets. One mm-hmm. guy was kind of a physical yak threat. Um, you know, you're hoping for that next Traylon Burks type of thing. And the other guy was like, you know, the five foot 10, 170 speedster who you thought might be able to develop into a route runner. And both those guys were zeros. And it was also a very thin wide receiver room. And I thought that one of them would would get on the field, but neither one of them did. Uh, So I don't believe in Arkansas to really throw the ball more in the future. I don't really view them as a throwing team. Uh, So I don't believe in the CFF potential potential of any of their pass catchers there. So that was a very quick cut for me as well. So, But generally speaking, unless I think they have immediate CFF potential, I'm cutting them. All right, let's move on to Love sunny days 12 who is this year's drake may who seemingly comes out of nowhere and puts up huge numbers and draws major nfl interest i have two so i'm gonna say one first Corey, you only have one Corey. i only have one yeah i i I tried to make this criteria very fit to like drake may so my guy will make some sense that way but um yeah you go you go ahead with yours first okay so my first one here i think should be the number one answer here. It's Carson Beck. Yeah. Uh, Carson Beck. We, excuse me. We talked about it a few times. Um, goes to Georgia. Georgia has obviously an amazing offensive line. Everyone there is just a top percentile athlete, and they develop draft picks like it's nobody's business across all positions, with the exception of quarterback. Uh, but Drake <laughs> May in the spring uh, showed us that he's a very good processor. He's a very good pocket passer. He has great mechanics. Uh, I just think he does everything well from the upper body, like up. I just don't know about how his scrambling ability is. I don't know how he handles pressure. So I don't know how he really navigates a pocket because the offensive line is just so dominant in the trenches. And we might not know the answer to those questions. I, mean, I think we can kind of assume he's probably not a top tier player in those categories. So as far as operating in structure, I'm very, very confident that he comes out to be one of the best ones this year. And I think he can have a Mac Jones-like rise. But that's like who he is next level. He's a pocket passer. So um, I think he's probably the best shot at the answer to that question. Yeah, I think yeah, I definitely thought about him as well. I feel like he's kind of been getting some buzz, so I wanted to kind of go a little bit lower. But yeah, there is some things that we have to see from him. You know, anytime that we've seen him, he's been in a perfect setting. End of games where the scores out of hand and he's just playing to finish out the game or spring where he's playing and he looks really good. So we haven't really seen him get tested yet. And that's going to be one thing that I really want to see with Carson Beck. Um, so yeah, that's a good answer though. I think he's going to rise against some senior, uh, some, uh, some hype as well from, 
I'm going to shut that off. Just give me a second. That's the second time. They're calling, brother. Like your order's in. Yeah, sorry. That's the second time it's done that. But yeah, no, he's getting a lot of hype right now. But um, so I went to a guy that I've talked about quite a bit. So for me, like, you know, guys who get any hype at all. So your KJJ, your Riley Leonard, your Jordan Travis, even Will Howard's gotten some hype. I I tried to stay away from those guys. I'm going to a guy who is losing a lot of love in the community, okay? But he's also entering his third season, just like um, Drake May what Drake May is, has all the potential tools of an NFL quarterback, which needs to rein in some of those gunslinger ways. And that's old Miss quarterback Jackson Dart. Okay. Highest big time throw percentage in the SEC, second highest A dot. Uh, only had 12 sacks. Only guy who, who played a decent amount of snaps that was lower than that was Stetson Bennett. Uh, got the size you want, 6'3, 220, arm talent to make to make every throw you want, and mobility. People don't even talk about the, the fact that this guy rushed for like 600 years, uh, 600 yards last year as well. Um, they're just so focused on some of like the, the downside of his place. And he is a very much a gunslinger, okay? But the talk has been very high about him through the spring. He's clearly the leader in that group. A lot of people are still thinking that's a quarterback battle, but you listen to the cover three podcast about uh, um about them this year uh old miss this year they are saying it's jackson dart hands down like no one's even competing with him he looks more comfortable in the second year in this system as not uh, as well so he can start fine-tuning the parts of his game now that he's more comfortable in here and hopefully do enough to get some attention heading into the next year he kind of feels like a dark horse at least he's, he's a guy that's not really getting talked about much i like that i moved him up recently you kind of convinced me on him i really do yeah, it's, it's the traits win. there. You know, I just want to see it all come together a little bit. Yeah. Uh, my other shooting from a little bit of deep here. It, you know what's funny about draft season, which was like this past summer, is that we don't talk about like our dark horses because we want them on our rosters. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> I try I try not to do that, but I definitely hold back a little bit. Nate Marquis like straight up went dark for everyone for Devontae Walker. <laughs> and then like a yeah. week before the season starts, he like hits us in the slack about Devontae Walker. I mean, it's too late for all of us. It's like, why are you telling us now? Like, yeah, but um. <laughs> Anyway, uh, my answer here is Will Howard. Will Howard listed at six foot five, two forty. I think he's really six foot four, uh, two thirty. But again, that's still fine size, prototypical size. Um, he came in for relief of a injured Adrian Martinez week eight, and then regular season, so week eight to week thirteen, he was sixth in yards per attempt on his passing, and it's a really elite number at nine point three yards per attempt with 13 touchdowns and two interceptions. And it's not like Kansas State has any prolific pass catchers. They don't. So this guy was elevating a passing offense that, well, Kansas has never been talked about as a passing offense. It's always been the Deuce Vaughn show over there. Uh, he was injured, so he had a lower body injury, which probably messes with Kansas, probably messing with him a little bit as far as his mobility as well, though, too. But Kansas State returns 100% of its starting offensive line. And that is a top four, top three, I want to say like minimum here, like trench unit. So they're going to give him time to throw. And again, they only bring in like one guy from the transfer portal. It's going to be um, Keegan Johnson from Iowa. So I, I, he's going to have the opportunity again to elevate this passing offense to a high level. And if he comes back healthy, I think he's going to fix some of the mechanical issues. He's going to be a little bit more proficient in his task and more efficient in everything. And he's already putting up, I think, NFL level efficiency numbers. So as long as he cleans up a little bit, I'm talking about like a minor adjustment here. I think we'll see his name be talked about a lot more come the draft time. Now, I know people are saying like day two. I think day two is almost a realistic output. And I think that's like the most likely one. But I do think he does have dark horse shooting from deep day one potential. But I think this guy gets drafted. I think he's a top 
seven quarterback in this class. Day one is spicy. Day one is definitely spicy. Yeah. But I mean, you you even see the uh, senior bowl guys hyping him up right now. They were saying that from all the tape that they've watched, that it, that last stretch of his was actually some of the best tape in this senior group of class of, of quarterbacks right now. So they're it's they're a- very high on him coming in as well. They didn't talk about him until they reached out, and and I wrote a I wrote up about Will Will Howard in a thread to him on Twitter. Dude, I'm just saying, I'm just saying they didn't talk about him until I started talking about him to Jim Nagy. We like, no, they, they read like, my Debbie Guide profile. At? No, they read my Debbie Guide profile. That's what, that's what really happened. <laughs> All right, so Corey's answer was Jackson Dart, and mine were Carson Beck and Will Howard. Let's get on to the next question here. Uh, I skipped over Nick Jensen, thirty three. How do you feel about taking a guy like Brandon Innes, a uh, true freshman for Ohio State, over guys like Barron Brown, a second-year receiver out of uh, Kentucky, or Ted McMillan, a second-year wide receiver out of Arizona? I think Innes has a chance to be special, but hard to pass on a legit year-one production from those two. Do you want to go first on this one? This one's tough. Sure, yeah. I mean – I think this this generally comes down to philosophy and less about the actual players here. Like, I think it's always a little bit risky to go freshman over guys that we have seen it with in this specific case, just talking about these guys right now, I actually do have McMillan and McMillan and Barian both over in it. So for me personally, I I'm siding a little bit with what I've seen there, but as long as the rest of the profile makes sense, right? You're talking about like a power five guy, the right builds, um, athleticism seems to be there, has the early production, and still within that early window, uh, early declare window. So I, I can feel good about their projection, you know? I think when it comes to like taking a shot on a guy like like a Brandon Innes for me, um, the sweet spot comes in right about wide receiver 15 for me, where we're looking at, you know, the Washington guys, um, Devontae Walker, Malik Benson, because those guys also have risk in their profiles, whether it's age, whether it's late declares coming from Juco, unsure about like the role that they're going to have with Benson there. So, you know, when you have like a five-star freshman at a place that breeds wide receiver talent to the NFL, like that's where I feel better about taking a shot, even on unknown there, but just because of like the projection you could possibly see there. But, you know, if everything else makes sense and, they have that year one production that tells us that we should be paying attention to them. I don't mind taking that over, especially in a C2C league where I want that production, that production, but we're, we're talking about the top tier guys here because wide receiver 15, that's right about where I'm going to break it off. This one's tough. I, I think Corey really nailed out what's hard about it. It's just because you have proven production. I had Ennis as my wide receiver one going into this spring in the freshman class. Mm-hmm. So this one's hard for me. So I think so. I have him in a tier one of my like Debbie like rankings. He is wide receiver ten for me, which is behind Barian, but it is in front of Ted McMillan. Um, I just like his play style more, and I think it's very translatable to the NFL like right away. And I do think there's some questions about Ted's profile, um, mainly that they're just kind of opposite skill sets. You know, the 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 NFL is going towards these route runners, these big alpha guys. Like they definitely can pop off on an NFL roster. But I think the number one theme is being a route runner. I think Ennis is just set up so well to succeed. I, I, I find it such a hard belief in him failing. Uh, so, what's your yeah, like so- realistic projection for him? Like, just you know, give me a comparison for a guy in the NFL. Who do you think Brandon is could be? Like, is he like a Garrett Wilson? Yeah, I was gonna say Garrett Wilson. But I think he'd be like an Amon yeah. or Keenan too. Because I know the questions about his athleticism, but I don't think it's even low. Yeah. I just don't think it's elite. I think it's still a high level. It's just not like. And you think he's more like a slot guy? Yeah, yeah, I think he's more of a yeah. slot guy. But I think he can be a really good manipulator. Um, yeah. So, 
so I have Barian higher because of his athletic ability. I think he can be a much higher ceiling guy. Um, but Ted McMillan, I have more questions about his game. So I usually just typically draft off tiers. I draft all my tier one guys and I go into my tier twos. And I have Ted as a tier two just for some questions I still have about his game, which isn't yeah. bad. I mean, tier two is still good. but Which is fair. But I think in, in a nutshell, the guys you're considering here um, – Anis Brown and Ted McMillan are pretty much all in the same area. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. knock you for picking one over the other. I think in this area, yeah. Like like Corey said, philosophy based. You know, some guys like to draft proven production because it's you know there's less risk there. Hundred yeah. percent, definitely agree with that. Um, so the upside is Ennis, but I think the safer floor is Ted. And I think we both agree, variance higher. Yeah. All right, going on to Probasco Luke. Friend of the show, friend of Canvas Skin. Uh, he has a he has a couple of things here, so I'm gonna ask just the first one, and then we'll get into the other ones. Lay out our best and worst case scenarios <laughs> for FSU running back Trey Benson. Yeah, he just went on campus or um, campus life the other day, and and uh, kind of ripped Benson uh, a new one. And I, I sent him a message on Twitter. And I was like, I did not like your Trey Benson take, by the way. So I still like you, but I did not like your Trey Benson take. <laughs> but intimidation. Um, yeah, so, so that's it. I think that's why he's kind of he kind of asked this question, anyways. But I think this is kind of. I mean, it's the best case scenario isn't difficult to lay out here, right? He would essentially have to do uh, what he did on the back half of the season last year for like an entire year, possibly you know show us a little bit more of a receiving profile, um, test well at the combine, and you know become a high draft pick. But of course, like like that is easier said than done. Um, this was a guy who only had double digit touches like three times before week seven after that averaged 16 touches over 120 yards, uh, and uh, over a touchdown a game. So he finished top three in the power five in, in missed tackles force yards after contact per attempt breakaway percentage. And I, I think that is where it's going to be hard to keep up that efficiency. And that's probably where the downside comes in because I think realistically, I think those high marks he hit are probably going to take a little bit of a drop with more volume, of course, but you know, hopefully we can see other things like, you know, receiving added to his profile. But I think like the absolute worst case here is that it really was just a flash in the pan down the back half of last season. Uh, he comes in this year, just has like an okay season. You'll maybe close to a thousand yards again. Then we get to testing and, you know, he tests like David Montgomery, who was also the missed force tackles king in college. If you remember back in the day. So maybe he's more like that. Can't really do the same things he was doing at the NFL or at the college level onto the NFL level and never really lives up to the lofty goals people are trying to set for him. So I think those are probably the two, you know, best and worst case scenarios for, for Trey Benson for me. I only want to add to about the efficiency point of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's very easy or easier to be an efficient running back when you have a dual threat QB like Jordan Travis there. Like mm -hmm. if you have, if you're running behind, let's say Carson Beck, who I just talked about earlier, like he's a stash in the pocket. Linebackers don't yeah. need to spy Carson Beck. They're not going to assume he's going to go for a run because it's not going to get that far. So yeah. I think that once you have, the more threats you have as far as like running potential on the team, I think it's a little bit harder to cover that. It's a scheme for that. You know, uh, Florida state had like a rotation of, I think three or four running backs last year and they just shaved off two of them. Right. So now it's really just a Trey Benson. So, so I think teams will find it easier to scheme against that running uh, group there with Trey Benson. And at the next level, if he gets paired with a uh, Mac Jones, cause I'm a Patriots fan there, you know, and Mac Jones ain't going to run for too far. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It'll be easier. It'll be easier to have a, a stack box against some type of thing. So, I think efficiency should fall somewhat this year. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm almost expecting it to at least. But I mean, I still think like I, I'm much more on the side that this is going to be a positive outcome for him. To be honest with you, like I think that he's, I think he's probably like a four five ish guy, maybe of a high four four guy, like four four nine would be like the range. I put him in four four nine to four five five somewhere in there. He's going to have the size. I just want to see maybe a little bit more of a receiving profile, but like I, I don't know. He's going to have to really crap the bed to to not be looked at favorably next year. I do think worst case, you didn't say this. You said David Montgomery's worst case. I think worst case could be um, Trey Sermon. No, well, tests like yeah. David Montgomery, though. That's, okay. that's just what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Trey Sermon worst was case also could like, be, could be Trey Sermon. Yeah. Yeah. You can see Flash for like five games, and then people were calling him the potential RB1 in the class. And that was. He's getting hype right now, man. They're like, the Eagle, coming out of Eagles, they're like, if he ever gets a chance, he's going to be awesome. Dude, he averaged 19 yeah. yards a carry one year. I can't remember which one. He had two carries for 32 yards. Yeah, 19 <laughs> yards a carry. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, all right, let's get on to the next part of loose question. Uh, question number two. Who is a Debbie guy that will help their stock this year and hurt their stock this year? Uh, you this go ahead with this one. I started last one. Um. Okay, so this is kind of a theme in the Slack lately, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Jadon Blue, if you're still thinking he's a Debbie asset, I think he's dead. I think he's already in the grave. He's already buried. There's nails his stock's in the already dead, though. How low? How much more low can his stock People fall? are still drafting him. People you are trading for him. Guy. I Jaylen traded Blue's him away good, for Carson That's not Beck. a good choice. That's not a good choice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a real concern for... Uh, there's two guys I want to talk about here. I, I'm going to say Troy Franklin here. Troy Franklin. Oh, um, okay. Let's hear it. Yeah. He was really efficient in like, I think three games or four games. The other ones he was just pretty average in. Uh, so if he can't, I don't know, split that up across more games and be a little bit more efficient across more games. I think people are going to poke holes in this game. They're going to say what he can't do, which is something we've been saying a lot all the time. But I think once the NFL Draft rolls around a lot. The drafting is going to come out, and they're going to be like, we don't know where he fits in an NFL offense because he doesn't fit in the, like, Jahan Dotson, uh, Devonta Smith. Like, he's not, like, skinny, but, like, a, an elite route runner. He's still tall and lanky. He's more of a straight-line guy. Mm-hmm. And the only successful straight-line guys I know are, like, absolute bullies like DK that can just be physical freaks or guys that are very fast like a, like a Brandon Cooks or a, or a Tyler Lockett, whatever, like those field stretcher types. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a little bit of an in-betweener, and so I'm afraid that his skill set is only college-related. I've been saying that for years, but over the last couple of months, I've, like, I don't know, convinced myself that he could be a, a wide receiver two for an NFL offense, but I don't know. I, I find myself, like, I don't know, I guess at some point in time, doubting my intuition or something, and then once a draft rolled around and other people are saying it, then I feel more confident to go back to my original take, you know? So I, I think that might happen with Troy Franklin. Yeah, I think like, I've watched some Bo Nix this offseason as well, um, just to get kind of a feel for him, like for his big bounce back in this this season. And I still think I saw a lot of the same issues. Like, I don't all think it was all on Franklin. Like, there was so there was a lot of times that I saw Troy Franklin running free and he didn't hit him or would overthrow him or what it was a bad ball placement or something. So I want to give a little bit of like leniency there for that. I do agree that he's kind of like this raw type of guy that's that's more athlete than he is like wide receiver. But you know, that jump we saw from year one to year two, it was pretty substantial. I mean, I can't list you off the stats right now because I can't remember them, but he took a jump in like everything. His drop percentage was yeah. way better. His contested per- uh, catch percentage way better. Everything about his profile got like a lot better. So I'm, I'm kind of on the opposite side there. I'm kind of hoping that, uh, that this season actually boosts his stock a little bit. It's not my guy though, that I'm going to talk about, but I like that one from you. That was a little bit spicy. I just want to give some honorable honorable mentions to Dorian Singer, Blake Corum, 
Oh, well, uh, stop talking because you're taking my guy. Okay. <laughs> my, <laughs> my biggest fault faller potentially Ronda Gatson sorry Ronda Gatson <laughs> Arnold Mitchell. stop talking might be Dorian Singer okay wide receiver from Arizona going over to USC too many people are just sliding him uh, right into that starting wide receiver role kind of putting the two together like Jordan Addison but I mean there was another high profile transfer there last year right with, with Mario Williams who didn't really live up to the bill saw his value drop like crazy now um, and you could even compare this to the Bama situation where we tried to assume Jermaine Burton was going to walk into the wide receiver one role there, similar to Jameson Williams before him. And again, didn't really work out. So I think it, it also comes down to what we think about Singer as a, as a player. I mean, me and you've talked about a lot. Our, our, our comparison is Tylen Wallace, very physical guy, good at the catch point, but maybe doesn't get the separation that we wanted to see, like especially from somebody of his size. Like we want to see a little bit more fluidity of movement. So there's just so many bodies as well in that USC room. You know, we're, we're fans of a lot of them there. Uh, I'm just not confident which one is really going to step up. And the spring hasn't been kind for Singer. Like it, it's been quiet buzz all year or, or all off season. He seemed to play with the second team during the spring game and had a couple of drops in that game as well. So I really think there is an avenue here where his value is going to drop because he's so high right now. He's going like top six rounds of a CGC draft or a Debbie draft. He goes within those rounds. So I, I, I could imagine him being more like Mario Williams next year in value wise. I love it. Great take. Do we say who's going to help their stock? We just say who's going to hurt their stock. Who's going to help? No, their stock? Help too. Yeah. Pick a guy that you think is going to help their stock. Yeah. All right. You go first. Popcorn. Okay, I'll go, court. All right. I'll go first here. Uh, I'm not going to take, I'm trying to stay away from that low hanging fruit. So, you know, like Chiquin and Jackson and, and, uh, and Brandon Rice and Colby, like the, those guys, I'm just going to stay away from a little bit. I'm going for a different guy. That's kind of like my guy this year. Um, and I'm going to talk about LeQuint Allen running back from Syracuse. Okay. Um, talking about a guy who was uber efficient with his touches that he did receive. Um, opened up the season behind Sean Tucker as a true freshman, which, which was good to see. Was using a bunch of versatile ways. He threw the ball. He ran the ball. He caught the ball. Um, and which I think that's going to be a huge part of running backs game heading into the NFL with the way things are going, like the way that the running backs are, are being devalued in the NFL. I think you're going to be, have to be able to do a lot of things to stay in the NFL and, and have a long career in the NFL and be doing some of those versatile things like he does is, is going to be good for him. You know, when we saw him in that, that bowl game, when Sean Tucker finally sat out, he caught like 11 passes as a running back rush for over a hundred yards. I mean, I'm pretty excited to see what he can do uh, as the main guy this year. I would just have to see a little bit more weight from him. Cause he's like 195 right now, but the comparison that I constantly make is Rashad White, and Rashad White even coming into ASU was 195 as well. He ended up 210 by the time the draft rolled around, so I'm hoping that there's an avenue here for him to add some weight. But he's probably the guy I think can rise in Debbie rankings, especially just because he's such a versatile guy. So for me, I, I don't want to use one of my Mike Smith fits. I feel, I feel like they could all fit the bill for this question, this, uh, this answer for this question. Um, so I'm going to go with the tight end because we don't ever talk tight ends. Um, a tight end. Okay, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Let me know when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> so tight end one is is Brock. Tight end two is JT for everybody. Um, I'm gonna go with Ben Sinat from oh. Kansas State. I haven't been grabbing him anywhere, and it's been kind of annoying because every time I think I can wait on him, and then I miss out. So I'm a little upset about that. So if you have him in a league, you want to trade him to me? Like, go ahead and send offers. <laughs> I think that Dane Brugler dropped his his top tight ends. I think that really all of a sudden, all of a sudden he was going higher in drafts. Oh, he, was he, he on that he list? Was, he's number three. So that's right, well, why good job, Dane. No, no, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, oh, I think it's still deep. No one was talking about it. Okay. 
he has prototypical size. He's a fullback converted uh, to tight end. So I think he's got some decent movement abilities for our tight ends. Go. He's not like a clunky mover the way a lot of them are. But as soon as as soon as Will Howard took over, I mean, this guy started seeing ten targets. I mean, seven for eighty nine and two against Baylor. You know, so it's he really started taking off as a lead tight end here. And I talked about that room not having that much special talent in there. I think Ben Sinat could have very realistic for like college fantasy. I think he could be a top 12 tight end uh, by the end of the season and then get some, some Debbie buds, you know, uh, maybe kind of turn to like a Trey McBride type of tight end in the NFL level. So I think Ben Sinat could be a sneaky tight end three for this class. Yeah, he, he has, like, running back eligibility in fan tracks, too, which I think he's taken, like, three rushes in his whole career, which is weird, but they, yeah. for some reason, give him running back eligibility, too. But, yeah, he's a guy that I've actually gotten a couple shares of, but he was a guy that I'm targeting at, like, round 16 or, or round 15 of, of supplemental drafts, like, the last rounds, and yeah. all of a sudden, he's starting to go, like, round 10 round 11 round nine and i'm like oh, what the hell like it's gotta be it's gotta be because they improved there put that thing out the, the opportunities are just so huge in front of him like it's just yeah it's a it's a thin room outside of keegan johnson in my opinion i think uh, that, so. that that offense could be fun this year with a will I, howard fully invested into that and they can run it back to the championship for the for the the big uh oh, i forgot what it is big 10 or big 12 whatever it is sorry yeah big 12 yeah yeah. All right. Let's get on to his next question here. Uh, who are our short kings this year from Luke? Uh, Corey, I'm going to throw it to you because this one gave me a headache. Yeah, I uh, I will say that in this, I think what he meant was this upcoming class, but I'm going to I'm gonna say I don't really have a short king in this upcoming class yet. I just went with the two guys I have ranked the highest that are the smallest, right? <laughs> so um, at wide receiver, I went with Squirrel White from Tennessee. Uh, I just think, you know, speed kills and he's going to be uber productive and probably get himself drafted just on that basis alone. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I expect him to be anything like crazy on the next level, but I think he gets drafted. And sometimes that opportunity is all you really need. And maybe he becomes something, uh, sort of an anomaly in the next level, d- uh, despite his size, because he does have that speed to his game that the NFL seems to love nowadays. And then I, the shortest running back that I have ranked pretty nicely is I'm sure everybody does too, is Trevor Etienne, who's, I think is coming in somewhere around five, nine or five, eight had a pretty nice freshman uh, season there at Florida um, has a nice pass catching background in high school as well. So he's a guy that I think makes it to the NFL pretty easily, but less concerned about the height with the running backs. Honestly, the short King really here for me is squirrel white. Yeah. This one was tough because of the freshman is Zach Rybrandt, Right. And then yeah. the sophomore class squirrel white. And then this one, I started like looking up all these players heights. I started looking at like Jimmy Horn, uh, Ryan O'Keefe. I was trying to find those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the answer I came up with is that there just isn't one this year. And then I was thinking like, it's gotta be some BS G five small guy to get some hype up and get like a draft in the third round. And I've settled upon my answer being Tyron Smith from Utah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Five foot seven. He's going to be productive two years in a row. That's going to catch up people's eye. Maybe gets a senior bowl invite. I don't really know if he gets any real draft cap. I don't think he should. Uh, so overall, my answer is that there is no short king. But if I have to pick one, give me Tyron Smith is this year's short king. Is he a four-year guy? Is he senior bowl eligible? I thought he was like only a fourth or fifth year. Oh, I thought he was a little older than that. I might be wrong. Let me t- let me uh, pull it up here. But no, he was also the guy who almost transferred over. No, he's e right. Yeah, he's a, he's a senior. I was wrong okay. about that. But yeah, he almost transferred to uh, Texas A&M, I believe. 
this yeah, year. That's right. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then when, back and though, then once he saw back. all the guys came back. Oh, and nice. Yeah. Came back and then everybody came back. So yeah, he, just, he was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But he could be somebody that if he doesn't, um, if he doesn't go to the NFL next year that I could picture trying to transfer up again. I'm not sure what his eligibility is, if he's out of eligibility or not, but he's, he's a guy since he's already done it. I could imagine him trying to do it again next year. All right. So the next question here at dynasty PJ, he asked, what is it going to take to surpass Debbie debate <laughs> as the top Debbie show on the site? I couldn't think of an answer for this question because it's not a Debbie show. Uh, so we are, the top Debbie show at the site. They have it in the name, but it's false advertising. Our, our lawyers <laughs> will talk to them eventually about that. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know how to answer that question. You know, no, we don't talk you. about video games in the show, so there's that. <laughs> we actually talk about NFL players. We don't talk about obscure G5 players. Uh, we try to avoid tight end talk as much as possible. We all know it's a wasteland. Everyone knows it's a wasteland. Um, so we just spent that. five minutes talking about a tight end for everybody. I'm trying to get some variety. Yeah. We still we still limit ourselves down. We don't we yeah. don't overhype players four years in a row like Troy O'Meary and I don't know who else they talk about over there. Uh, yeah. When I first saw this question, my first initial thought was, "What's the other Debbie show that is on the site?" Yeah, <laughs> so, talking about. Um, but I do think that we kind of have this interesting thing here. It, not that it's not that it's niche, but. We're a Debbie show for C2C leagues in a sense. So I feel like we go a lot deeper. We're, you know, we're, we're staying away from like, you know, just top 30 assets. So, you know, we're going into like our wide receiver 60, our RB60 and saying, hey, you know, if things break right, you could become an NFL. You know, like it, we're, we go so deep. And I think that's kind of like, uh, it kind of makes us a little bit of a, of a niche Debbie show compared to like some of the other ones out there. So to me, we are the top Debbie show on Campus Canton Feed and on everybody's feed. So sorry to everybody else who runs a Debbie show. We're also weekly compared to other Debbie shows. Yeah. Putting out there. I don't think there's another one out there like that. Yeah, a little um, bit of a patter, pattering ourselves on the back there, but that's okay. Yeah. Weekly with no Patreon. I don't know if you've yeah. got Patreons for weekly ones, but we don't do Patreon. This is free. No. Yeah. Man <laughs> of the people. Purely uh, going passion. On the, that's all you're getting from us. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> going on the Chris Moxley 19, how is it developing chemistry with someone you've never met from a different country? And lead generally different lives yeah see so this one like i don't i don't know about you but i felt like there was a level of us like uh, that when we initially got together that it, it hooked off pretty quickly i guess like a, like i feel like we had similar thoughts on on devi i feel like we had similar you know we, we have the same like type of demeanor the same kind of type of humor sometimes like i felt like it worked obviously there was a little bit of like a phase there where we had to build our chemistry but like where we've arrived now i'm actually like pretty pretty happy with i don't think like it the, the country is a is a big deterrent for anything for us you know maybe except for some of the time zones or whatever that'll happen anywhere um right. but you know uh, other than that like i think i think we've hit it off pretty well i i will have to say that probably the biggest difficulty we have as a group is that i work just a ridiculous schedule and i have to give it off to mike here for you know being pretty pretty good about it on show nights you know i'm texting them you know gotta do six today gotta do 8 30 today we gotta do five today we gotta do it so you gotta record monday night instead he's very good about that and i will say you know I've, i i respect him for being able to do that for me because not everybody will be able to do that but i really think that we're headed to a good place and our chemistry is only getting stronger as we go yeah no i agree too i remember Corey talking about how we got a I don't know how how to say it. We had we had to like find some mojo between the two of us the first couple of weeks. Remember you giving that kind of feedback there? Yeah. Um. But no, I, I think I think we worked out pretty well. 
Um, and Corey did say we're two different parts in our lives. Corey's working like an insane amount right now. That's just how his job is in the summer. And I'm, yeah, you know, I'm married. We're both married, but I don't got kids and I work remotely like half my week, you know? So I, my life, it's pretty flexible. So it's been pretty, it works out for now. And we'll see what happens. I have kids, Corey. I'm just saying, I'm trying out there. You know what <laughs> it's I'm saying? Not, <laughs> not easy. It's not easy. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, so, so that might change down the road. Hopefully that really won't affect us. I really hope it doesn't. Cause I really do enjoy doing the show with Corey. Um, mm-hmm. so I'd heard a little bit more about the start though. Corey, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I'm going to be honest with all the, the uh, founders too. When you, they, when they brought you on for Debbie league, I was like, I'm talking about like 5%. 5% butthurt that you came on as a lead because I'm over here like, nah, I'm right all the time. What are they doing? They don't need anybody else. They got me. You know, enough to mention it to my wife, but nobody else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got you. Hey, and I I honestly picture you as like my right-hand man. We're pretty much like a two-man yeah. Debbie team here. Like really, like, and that's not to say all the other guys contribute very well, but they're all doing other things as well. You know, whether they're into the recruiting or whether they're doing um, the the actual just college shows. Like, so they just, so I picture us as kind of like a two-man group, maybe a group that we might add to in the future. But for and now, I, like I've always pictured you as our my right-hand guy. And I do think there was an, a thing to it where, and I like this about you uh in the beginning as as coming in is that you were very open to to criticism you're very open to new ways of looking at things you're you're always asking questions you know what i mean i like that about you you're not a guy that thinks he knows everything you know what i mean and yeah. at least that's the way it came off to me in the beginning so that was one thing that i really liked and i don't even know everything you know i've only been in the industry for like five years as well so i mean I, i've been watching football forever but really as an analyst only in the past five years so i don't know everything either so even you've taught me some things too and we've gone back and forth and now you know it, it's kind of a nice duo we got going here now yeah and i've always wanted a debbie show too i was doing like the after show a little bit with the uh with the debbie debate show um which was like sometimes fun, but other times I show up and they all disappear and I'm like, what is what's going on? Like I had stuff planned. So now the plans are ruined. Yeah. Uh, so I've always wanted a Debbie show. And I was and when Corey actually asked, I think I think you're the one that asked first, because I was like, Oh shit, this guy wants to do a show with me. Like this guy's actually established and does all this other stuff. Like I'm kinda like <laughs> new kid on the block. But like yeah, so I felt a little little out of my depth at the start, but um, you know, I, I generally am a pretty confident person. So Yeah. It, it, yeah it's so, become yeah. something nice, yeah. Yeah, distance wasn't an issue. All right, let's move on to the next question. Uh, last question here. This one comes from CFB Winning Edge. How does it impact your campus to can strategy, or do you just sit back and laugh at yourself when some know nothing in the league drafts? <laughs> someone, sorry, I gotta do this. When when they know nothing in league drafts, a CFF, CFF only team on the college side, or on a more serious note, is there a particular strategy another owner has implemented that disrupts your own strategy the most? Um, so this is going to be a larger discussion. We're going to talk about the league of record draft that just happened. Uh, Nick Allen is in this one, CFE winning edge. Um, he's a big CFF guy. Uh, there's some other two or three other guys I consider more CFF heavy than the rest of us and this draft was the most entertaining draft i've been in because it really challenged the typical strategy you know usually these guys campus skin we advertise like debbie the first 10 rounds and you switch to cff assets this this switched to cff like across the board like more like round five yeah it was like debbie heavy the first like four rounds and then you guys see cff guys crop up and then there's just two that well nick himself was like round two, he went strictly CFF. Like, I mean, that's what he knows. He's like, I feel really confident in this category. I'm just going to draft that. And people were like, hey, CFF wins the league. Like, that's how you make money. I'm here to make money. And like, yeah. 
and I got I got scared. I I got scared once it, when it hit the like the fourth round, and I saw his roster how it's shaping up. I'm talking about just four picks. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not winning this year. I I guess I just won't even try to pick CFF guys. I'll pick only stash picks, and I'll shape my roster up to prepare to compete next year and get a little bit of an edge that way. Um, that's how I started. Uh, and then I got more confident towards the end, but let's just talk about the start of the draft. Corey, how'd you feel about the start of the draft? Yeah, I, I felt all right about it. You know, and even when you're, when you're talking with their Nicholas, you know, he kind of threw us for a loop. I mean, second and third pick Malachi Corley and Austin Reed. Those are typically guys that we're seeing like plus 10th round, maybe eighth round, you know, Malachi Corley starting to climb a little bit. So that right there almost set the, set the, uh, it was a precursor for what was going to come. I mean, round five, oh, we were yeah, already getting, like, you know, he Torrey Horton. Yeah, he said, yeah, exactly. That was a, that was a term I was looking for. He said the tone, because now all of a sudden we were getting CFF guys stri- strictly from, from round five. And I think that, you know, typically that's what we would like to do is we want to hit a lot of those high-end Devi assets who might not play that much early and then still be able to pick some of the guys near the back half that we like, some of the producers at CFF. But when they're starting to go early here, now everybody's like, oh no, those guys I was planning to take in round 15, round 14, they're all of a sudden going here, round two, round three, round four, round five, like that kind of changed my strategy a little bit. I did switch to CFF a little bit sooner, but I will say in my strategy for C2C, I am like a fluid guy. I like to win. So I, I, I don't mind taking CFF producers at the right cost. I still try to stick generally to... Um, to higher end guys or at least fringe Devi assets, you know, like uh, I think wait, near wait, the bottom. Wait, wait, fringe Dev. Then explain why you pick KJ in the eighth round because that's not a fringe Devi asset. KJ Jefferson is not a fringe Devi asset. No, it's not. Yes, he is. He gets the same type of buzz as like fucking Will Howard does right now. He's gonna be like the Hendon Hooker next year. Will Howard only had six games. He's been around a long time. I'm just saying. You better... He's gonna be he's gonna be like Hendon Hooker next year. That's that's what I picture his draft buzz being like like round like middle rounds, round three, round four. Like I could picture him getting because he has a bunch of traits that I think the NFL is gonna love. He's like 245 pounds, he's a runner, he's super physical, has a freaking gun for an arm. Like I think he's got Debbie potential, like fringe Debbie potential. And if not, he's gonna be a massive producer for me for at least this year. So that's kind of where I was going with that, regardless. And that's kind of and that's my thought process. You know, I'm thinking about guys, Elijah Badger, a guy that I took in round eight. I think he's a he's a fringe Debbie asset. He a guy who could possibly make the league, but is going to be productive for me at least this year as well. Um, but you know, round ten, I almost shifted exact straight to CFF. I mean, Derwin Burgess, uh, Alex Adams, the next round. So yeah, I did go pretty early on uh, on some CFF guys. So maybe that his doing that maybe sparked me to kind of want to take them on a little bit earlier, but I actually don't mind the way my team ended up. I think I have a lot of upside, especially towards near the end as well, where I started picking up some guys and it, we kind of did different things, right? You were kind of like, you stuck to your, your Debbie heavy first, and then you tried to backfill with CFF guys at the end. I went like Debbie CFF. And then I tried to go high upside at the end again, and just see if maybe I could, you know, hit some gusts and Debbie guys as well, instead of trying to like backfill. Cause I felt like I already had a pretty good roster there, but it was a really, really interesting draft. Yeah, this draft did challenge my thought process, my strategy to disrupt. I think, I think the phrase was disrupt. It disrupt your own strategy. Because uh, yeah. I actually went Debbie longer. Uh, here's how I, view, I just view CFF as like almost redraft. I don't view like there's just there's a few guys I think are very easily projectable. And I'm talking about like Corley, Tory Horton. Like you feel really good about those two guys. Austin Reed, you feel really good. But Rasheen Ali, who came yeah. back from injury last year, but still like, you know, picked up right where he left off. So you can feel good about him going into next year. Aronde Gadsden. Um, 
But there's guys who are taken early too that I just don't think are slam dunk picks. I got burned a lot last year uh, from owning. I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody, but I got I owned a lot of like Mike Washington, the Buffalo running back. We all thought he was gonna be the next Jared Patterson, uh, mm-hmm. Antonio Williams of NIU. Like he split and like averaged ten points a game. Like that didn't help me win anything. Um, the running back Chris for Brooks from BYU to take over the Tyler Deer role. Like a lot of stuff feels like we're chasing what was there. And sometimes you can just tell yourself, hey, these guys aren't as talented. You know, Christopher Brooks is 50% of what Tyler Algier is, you know. And and I think – so I think CFF is just so volatile. And I remember, like, we have four-way wire pickups. Like, that's part of my mindset. I, I am already telling myself I'm using three of those pickups to pick up week-by-week starters for this league. And hopefully I'm saving one for a Devi asset towards the end, of the end of the year that picks up. But that's what I'm telling myself. So I went Devi probably until – the 18th round, which is way later than I normally do it. And I picked up Jamal Banks, who should be a leading receiver for Wake Forest. Uh, I go a little bit later. I got the leading receiver, I, I believe, the leading receiver for South, South Alabama, hopefully the wide receiver two for Western Kentucky, and the 25th round with Michael Madison and 20th, sorry, 23rd. So like, I I waited, and I actually like how my starting lineup looks right now because I take guys that still are in like really good systems. They produced last year to some sort of degree. Um, I, I really do like how my team shaped out and I have, I don't know. I feel like this roster is at least 15 guys that are worth stashes. Like they're stash picks. I'm hundred percent not going into the season. thinking I'm going to start 15 of the players on my roster. And if I have to drop one or two for pickups, then so be it. Um, so I feel really good about next year. And I just view CFF as super volatile. So like, I, I was super scared when Nick started off his draft. And then once he got to like, I don't know, Joe Milton in the seventh. Like, I don't believe in Joe Milton. You know, then Tyler Shuck, who is a leader. He's a leading quarterback for Texas Tech, but that's fine. Uh, and then, like, uh, Marquez Cooper, who balled out for uh, Kent State last year. He goes over to Ball State where Carson Steele left. Carson Steele is the exact opposite runner of Marquez Cooper. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not really super confident in that transition. Like, there's so much CFF guys I think are just going to fall off just because I think it's such a volatile position, just like uh, Lou Nichols fell off, you know? I don't, Kavorian Barn, we had a debate today in Slack about him a little bit, where uh, Nate Marquise was just announcing that he gained weight, and I'm just like, yeah, but have you seen the pictures? You know, and I posted the pictures of him. Like, the dude yeah, is chunky. Those, yeah. This shit wasn't good weight. Like, hey, I He looked good last year, man. I thought Kavorian yeah, was a good Yeah, but, like, year. that extra 15 pounds of fat he put on, like, maybe 20 pounds of fat, like, that's going to slow him. He's going to be slow. He's going to be slow. He's going to be less efficient. He's going to be slower. Yeah, we'll see. So, maybe maybe he'll trim up before the season there. But uh, one part yeah. of my strategy here, though, too, when you do switch to CFF, I think you'll notice that with my roster, too, is especially G5 running backs, I kind of avoid. I feel like there's more pass for, like, a G5 wide receiver to, like, make the league, right? Maybe just even as, like, a fourth-round pick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Becomes like, yeah, so, so that's why I kind of go heavier, like, CFF wide receiver early and then running back. So a guy like Marcus Cooper, even, you know – uh no, no disrespect to Shane here, but taking C- say a Bangura for, out of Ohio in round five. Yes, he's going to be a young guy and he's going to be productive for you for for a couple of years. So that's a good part. But I really don't think that he has like league upside. The Marquez Cooper pick in round nine. Like I don't think that th- these guys are NFL guys at all. You know. So w- when it comes to at least that, when I do switch, I am more heavy wide receiver, and then I'll kind of backfill later with some with some CFF running backs or something like that near the end. But um, I kind of stay away from those top top tier CFF running backs. So I didn't think I was going to compete this year. And then once my draft was wrapped up, I felt like this could be a competitive roster. Not sure if it's a straight winner. I still think Nick has some really heavy hitters on his team. Yeah. Um, but I like my team's depth. I think this could be still a competitive team. 
I'm going to beat you this year. Well, I know we're both going to beat Felix. I'll tell you that. So <laughs> going for us. Just a quick, uh, some quick shade at Felix there, quick. It just says we're heading off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and John too, but that's all right. That's all right. Anyway, um, so that does disrupt us. All right, Corey, the yeah, back, back to the original question. Yes, it did disrupt us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how it turned out though, because I stuck to my guns. I stuck to what I know. I know, I know Devi. Like, I don't want to yeah. like I'm gonna toot my own horn here. Uh Matt Bruning is always like projecting players are so hard. Look at all the guys that failed. Two days after the regular season ended for college football, I posted a projection for every single uh, positional group, with the exception of tight end. Like, let's be real here. I'm not doing that. But mm-hmm. the actual positions that are easy that I posted 18 running backs. No, sorry. Excuse me. I posted 21 running backs. Three of them went back to college. So 18. And then someone commented and asked me about Deuce Vaughn. So I threw him in there. So out of 19 guys, I got 15 out of 19 correct on their draft round. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that hard to project. I just don't. I think people overthink stuff. For quarterbacks, for three years in a row, I've been correct on them. You know, I've faded Will Levis. Like, no thank you. I've faded Malik Willis. No thank you for that either. Now, my rankings for quarterbacks three years ago, Trevor Lawrence was one, Justin Fields was two, Mac Jones was three, Zach Wilson was four, and Trey Lance was five. Zach mm-hmm. Wilson's dead. He just is. Trey Lance is – there's some holdouts, but, like, let's be real here. He's going to be falling off too. So, I, I just – and then my and then my wide receiver group probably more like industry standard. I didn't do like that well on it. I didn't, I didn't poop the bed on there either. But like you know, so I, I don't think projecting is that hard. So anyway, I just like sticking to my guns for Devi. I like how my team turned out. I don't believe all my guys are going to work out. Like I think I have four true freshman wide receivers on this roster. I would be excited if two of those beat the year one zero mold. I think three will. And I think I'll have to cut one of them. And again, that's fine. I have no problem doing that because it'll free up a spot for a supplemental draft. These are stash picks. and I get to reload with 15 guys every single year. Yeah, I think like for me too, you're talking about being comfortable being with Debbie. Like I think as I've played, like this is my fifth off season of C2C leagues. I have a league that's entering its fifth. So very long time ago, I've been playing for a while. I feel like as I've gotten more comfortable with college depth charts, college systems, um, what to expect from a certain coordinator or, or whatever that I've gotten a little bit more college friendly, I guess, in my drafts. Um, and I think eventually, I think you'll head there too, because I think everybody wants to win a little bit. And, you know, it's kind of like in an NFL draft where you're picking between a high productive vet and like a young guy who has like a lot of upside, but might not be productive in year one. You're kind of having that, that battle with you. I think as you go on, I think you'll start including a little bit more CFF guys, or at least guys you think are maybe on the fringe like I do. Um, but but yeah, I, I think comfortability is a big thing here. I go, guys just like to stick to what they know. And CFF is very daunting, man. 130 teams trying to know every depth chart, everything like that. Like that's tough sometimes. So I get it. I'm going to toot my horn a little bit more, Corey. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, now you're starting my, too much. Let's go to the next My one. misfits are still... <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, guys. That wraps up our mailbag episode. Uh, we're going to go to a next section here. I am speaking for myself. I have updated my rankings recently. Corey, you updated your rankings recently? I'm always, I'm always moving guys around, but I wouldn't say I've done like a hard, hard reset, but uh, I'm always okay. moving guys around. Guy that I'm thinking can, of or whatever. You can just but... say no next time. It's all right. It's no. okay. I never say no. I come, my, my rankings are always updated. That's my, that's right. how I look at it. <laughs> <laughs> so this next section is sponsored by Colin, who Austin recently called out, and rightfully so, for always saying uh, gun to my head and then going on about something ridiculous. So we're doing a would you rather type of section here, uh, sponsored by Colin of the Campus Life over there with Austin. Um, 
just kind of doing a little bit of recent uh, stuff for our rankings. Just want to showcase some stuff, some guys that I think me and Corey both have closely ranked. Hopefully spark some debates here. Um, so let's get into it. Corey, gun to your head. Carson Beck or J.J. McCarthy? I heard you know we're both going to be on opposite sides of this one because I am a J.J. Yeah, McCarthy I picked it on purpose. Guy, so, yeah, yeah, of course you did. Yeah, but it's J.J. McCarthy for me. I just think there's more tools there. That means more upside at the NFL level. Like you were talking about Carson Beck earlier, talking about him like Mac Jones. Like that's not – that's not a super high level of expectancy at the next level. This kind of goes to the philosophy of sometimes you'd rather swing and miss than just settle. You know what I mean? Mm. And sometimes I'd rather swing for a guy like JJ McCarthy who has all the tools to be somebody at the next level, like somebody very high end with his rushing ability, with his arm, with everything he has, maybe just isn't that clean of a prospect yet. Still has a year to do it, but I'm going to swing there and go with JJ McCarthy. Mac Jones is going to be a QB three for a roster in this league of record. He's going to be started at least a handful of times here. He's not going to be a starter in two years. (laughs) That's messed up. Yeah. (laughs) The defensive coordinator is gone, dude. We have an actual OC. We don't have any actual wide receivers yet. So hopefully we get those. Enjoy your 15 points a game for the next three years. (laughs) Yeah. That's those are points. Those are points. It's better than like throwing in some dinky wide receiver. in there. They were already talking about Bailey Zappi freaking last year. Oh, bro, you know how the hype train gets for rookies, dude. They get that rookie fever. They call him the next no, no. Tom Brady for two weeks. That shit was ridiculous. Oh, no. So you're obviously going Carson back here, I'm guessing. Yeah, cl- yeah clearly, clearly. Because I for think what? he's what's a safer. His, what's it? Yeah, safer, safer. Yeah, just... I think, I think, I think, like the the poster boy for pocket passers is like Chris is like Kirk Cousins right now. Yeah, if I could get can... Kirk Cousins, I would be excited about that. Yeah, if you can get Kirk Cousins, yeah. That'd be, that'd be all right for Carson Beck. I don't know if I, I see that in his future. But this year will be huge. Lofty comps all the time. And I, you know, you know, some people do that. This yeah. is the next. This is the next Patrick Mahomes. You know, how many times do you hear that every single year? Kirk Cousins has been like a freaking ten-year starter and like a quarterback one for like. That kind of is a lofty projection as well. well in my yeah, opinion. that's why I was. I like the Mac was, Jones one. I think Mac Jones. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll go on to the next one here. Uh, lead pipe to the kneecap. Dante Moore or Connor Wegman? You take this one. You start. Okay, that's fine. Uh, this one's tough. <laughs> I was hoping you're gonna take this one. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go Dante Moore. Uh, I'm always concerned about Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher's always got me worried. But at UCLA, I don't think anyone threatens Dante Moore. I believe in the coach a lot more. Um. I don't know. I don't really much else to say that. I think he's a really good processor. I think he's a really good game manager. And I think Connor Wegman had a nice flash in the pan against a really hard com- like competition. And then he disappeared for some terrible game too. So I don't, I'm a little bit afraid, I guess, of a, uh, another like Spencer Rattler or uh DJU where we're just projecting based off of two games. Yeah. But I feel like Dante Moore is a little bit safer. I am super concerned. Like my main concern about Dante Moore three years from now, if we're talking about his arm strength, Mm-hmm. having NFL level arm strength because that will that will kill it I think I think uh Austin always jokes about like the Joe Burrow line as far as a thrower goes uh so I gotta I still don't know if he's 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 gonna be close to that line that's all I'm saying he's gonna be close to that line yeah and some guys can win despite it, it all it all depends on the processing it all depends on your timing and everything Peyton Manning famously like lost his arm strength completely those last couple of years in uh, in, with the Broncos, but he was throwing those deep balls, like literally as the guy was getting off the line and just trusting him to get there 
in time. You know what I mean? So a lot of that processing and stuff, that's a lot of the stuff that I think Dante Moore has. So I think he knows how to succeed. I'm, I'm hoping that he's going to learn how to succeed with his arm and become the next guy. I'm looking at my rankings right now. I actually have Connor Wegman one spot above Dante Moore, but I'm almost willing to switch them to be honest. Cause it, there is some worry there for, for Wegman for me, but I will say Wegman has the size. I think that one game sample size did give us some optimism to be happy about. Um, I just drafted him in this league of record league, which after Dante Moore, actually, by the way. So I took Dante Moore in the second. I took Connor Wegman in the third, I believe. I can't remember. I, I closed the draft already. But it was right around that area. So I guess just by that, I do like Dante Moore a little bit as well, agreeing with you there. But I do think Wegman has has some pretty good upside, too. Both these guys top eight quarterbacks for me in the Debbie world. You got both of these quarterbacks in that league. You got Dante in yeah. the second, and you got Wegman in the fourth. In the fourth, yeah. See, so people are down on him for some reason, but I don't. Maybe just because of the way it ended, and maybe because of the place too. But quarterbacks just always so worrisome because there's always like you know there might be one each year yeah. for first round draft capital and a max of like five, like we had with the Trevor Lawrence class. That's pretty rare though. But again, yeah. like it's it's hard to bet on quarterbacks outside of like legit one or two. All right, let's go on to two wide receivers here. Uh, knife to your throat, Corey. Knife to your throat. It's a rusty knife. Uh, <laughs> a trio of freshmen here. Jaden Greyhouse, Cordell Russell, Jurion Dickey. Well, yeah, I guess you can just uh, – I can just pick one at least here for me. Cordell Russell's out of it for me because I think he's a lot okay. of – he's just an athlete. He's not, not he's just an athlete. I, just, I think his evaluation is based more on athleticism. Yeah. So, but uh, Jane Greyhouse on the other end, on the other hand, is based more on technicality. And Jerion Dickey is kind of like a cross between the two, right? You got some physical upside there. You got a little bit of technicality there as well. But that's tough for me. I'm think I'm still siding with you know maybe the same thing like the JJ McCarthy. I'm just going to swing for the ultimate upside, and I think that's Jerion Dickey to me, who you know has received some comps to like AJ Brown. I'm not sure if. He can never reach those those lofty goals, but he is a big physical guy with some speed. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to to make the field in year one, which is probably my biggest concern with that room there now. But Jurion Dickey followed closely by Jane Greathouse there for me. Okay. Yeah. So these three freshmen all ranked next to each other in my rankings. And I think I think I switch all three of them like every single time I do an update. <laughs> uh, but Corey talked through it really well. So I agree completely. Jurion Dickey is the in-betweener, and I think he can. All I need to do is let him run, run, run slants. That's it. That's yeah. all I'm asking him to do. Run slants, bro. Like, that's it. Very simple. You got it. Uh, so it, he's there for me. And then Jaden Greyhouse technicality is there for me. And then, of course, Cordell Russell, who is very raw as a player but has a high ceiling, he's going to be behind those because I think he's the most volatile. He can definitely have a higher ceiling, but he definitely has the lowest floor out of these three. Yeah. And where do you have him ranked, like, actually, just as a debut wide receiver? Uh, so all three in a row are 17, 18, and 19. Dickie wow. Greyhouse. Yeah, so that's high on some freshmen, man. I have Cordell Russell at 32. So I'm a little bit lower on those like freshmen sometimes. But yeah, Jane Greyhouse, I have sitting at 26. And then Jurion Dickey, I have sitting at 19. Okay. So I'm a little more spaced out with them. I don't want to take so many at the top. You know what I mean? I just... I, I, I never love putting all my chips in a basket like that in the, in the freshman basket like that. You know, I like that's the cheapest you're going to get them. If they hit, like they become a top, like four pick or not, sorry, top four round pick the next year, you know, like Barry on Brown's up there, you know, it's true. But just, some of those guys in, in that area, but some of those guys in that area, you can feel pretty good about already though. 
like where those guys are going, at least in my that's, opinion. Yeah, but like that's my draft strategy, right? Like I want to hit on these guys when I can, and then I get my CFF producer late because I think yeah. it's just so volatile, and that's fine by me. Like I, I like that. Yeah. And you got three waiver wire pickups. As long as you don't pick Ricky White, who was hot for one game and then fell off, like yeah, he might be good this year, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little bit in on him. So yeah. <laughs> um. All right, baseball bat to the rib cage. We're playing Clue here, bro. You're like Colonel Mustard with a baseball bat. <laughs> Corey's rib cage in the study. Um, baseball bat to the rib cage. I'm going back to Jurion Dickey or Troy Franklin. Talked about him here a little bit. I just want to know which one you, you'd rather have. Yeah, I know that you're low on Troy Franklin, but I am not as low. So I have Troy Franklin locked in as a top 15 guy. So he's he's the guy I'm going to take. I just I, I, I like the jump I've seen. I guess I'm expecting another jump. Um, you know, and he's with you know, Bonix is there again for another year. So maybe their connection will grow even more. Some of that chemistry, some of those missed balls, those missed opportunities that I saw last year, they'll connect a little bit better. And I think that he has the athleticism to at least grab the attention and end up a day two pick at worst. Um, but yeah, with Jerry on Dickey, I think our biggest concern is with how many bodies they added this off season to that wide receiver room, how much of a year one impact he's going to make. Of course, you know, we, we have our year one zero wide receiver theory here that makes it kind of tough to stay in on these guys after that. But I have a feeling he'll, I, I'm hopeful, I'm op- optimistic at least that he's going to get on the field. But I'm sticking with Troy Franklin here. Troy Franklin had five games below 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Six if you want to count 52 against Stanford. I just, yeah, I don't know, dude. I think his profile is a lot more holes than people want to admit. I, I put I put Dickey here. I think it's a higher ceiling. He's ranked higher for me, but again, only by like three spots. So they're right next to each other. I am worried about when the NFL draft rolls around and all the draft picks start poking holes in his profile. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, that slender frame is really going to be the toughest part to get through because I don't think he's going to add weight by the time the draft rolls around. No, I just think that's how his body is. That's it. That's yeah, who he is. that's it. That's who he is. Yeah. All right. Uh, hammer to your pinky toe. Keon Coleman. Or a, a guy for us last year, Colby Young. Keon yeah. Coleman, wide receiver for FSU. Colby Young, wide receiver for Miami. I actually think they're both pretty similar players, really, if you think about it. They're both that yeah, physical, they're, like, they're winning the catch point. Rangers. Like, yeah. And um, they're they're very close for me. But I do have Keon, I think, three or four spots above Colby Young right now. And that's just because his profile is maybe a little bit better. Not a guy that had to start at Juco had, you know, some year one production. Or Was he a year one zero, Keon? No, he it wasn't, didn't right? count, though, because he was outside of 300 recruits. Okay, yes, yeah, okay, yeah. So uh, a guy that was at least productive uh, last year anyways, and you hear about the way, like, FSU talks about him or even other people. Like, they have him high in their in their rankings, like, going into the draft. They think he's going to be, like, a superstar there at FSU. So maybe I'm buying into the hype a little bit, and I, th- I still think Colby Young is, like, a breakout star this year. Could be. Um, but for now, I'm slightly siding with Keon Cullen. I am still holding strong on Colby Young. Okay, but first off, I'd rather just take the hammer to the pinky toe. You can just get yeah. it. It's not that important. I'd rather just take the hammer. Yeah. But um, I'm, picking, I'm picking Colby Young. I just, those three or four games he had with, I used to know this stat way off the top of my head, but those three or four games he had with Tyler Van Dyke where he had a 40% dominator rating, mm-hmm. I just, I keep on thinking in my head, like, what if that just continued the rest of the season? I mean, yeah. how much of a household name would he have become if that be continued? So I'm still got those love love eyes. I don't know what they're called. I'm all love struck. I'm love struck. I don't know. Yeah. I'm focusing <laughs> on that small sample size and just saying to myself, well, what if, man? What if? And I, I and I believe 
that it can happen. I really do believe in it. it can happen with Dawson there and Van Dyke is healthy. So I have Colby Young higher. This is an upside play for me, though. Yeah, I don't hate it. I think, you know, we even talked about Tyler Van Dyke when we were doing our, our ACC preview. Um, and like, you know, they were really starting to get it going before Tyler Van Dyke hurt himself. So like, yeah, if that really continued through the rest of the year, and I think TVD's in for a big bounce back. And I think Colby Young is going to be a big part of that. He's been the, the star of camp so far. So I'm not really against you. I mean, four spots is not that big of a difference. They're in the same tier for me, but just for now, I'm kind of just siding with the hype, I guess. Colby Young's got a very interesting backstory and profile. That's hard to project, but it's, it's still super interesting what he did last year. I have a Juco bias too. There's always like one or two Juco guys that gets like, I feel like each class has one, you know, yeah. this class, this last class, Tinkdale, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson was one of those guys. Uh, Brandon Yuke was one. Rashad yeah. White. It just feels like every single year there's a Juco guy in the draft class that gets a lot of buzz. And so I think that could be Colby Young. Probably, probably Malik Benson, but Colby Young here has the chance to be that. <laughs> I talked about. Um, going over to the running backs. Uh, Corey, you'll start off with this one. Crowbar to the funny bone. Trey Benson or Chase McClellan? I mean, you guys have heard me talk about Trey Benson so much. My guy and the guide. I mean, this is an easy one for me. It's 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 Trey Benson for me. So if you have anything else to add to this, I'll I'll kick it over to you there. It's also Trey for me. Um, yeah, it's got to be. I just there there just is no production profile for Chase yet. There is one for Trey. Um. But I, I do think Chase McClellan will have a production profile for this last year. But it's been four years we're waiting for this stuff. So uh, they both had similar medicals. I don't know if you really thought about that. Their medicals are kind of similar. So yeah. that's like going to be a fun talking point. Because you can't like point that out. Like, oh, I'll just take the guy that has both his knees. Like, nah, they both had ACLs. So. <laughs> yeah, they both. I don't even. Yeah, his, his um, Benson's was gruesome. Like, I'm, I remember yeah. like his, he might have had even additional work done. That's actually a good point that he, that might be so, like something to watch when they start doing those medicals at the combine. Uh, I mean, you know, Tajay got through with no, with none. So that's kind of cool. interesting. Not really though, because people are saying that they only picture him as like a three. There was people like literally in the draft community saying like, he's going to be like a three-year player. So you're drafting him with that in mind. Like, I don't, I, I personally getting a little off topic here, but I personally don't think the Titans drafted him as like a successor. I think he's just going to be a complimentary player. Oh yeah. I think he just, dispels uh hilliard he takes hilliard's yeah like pretty, uh, exactly yeah and then yeah. they're gonna get that for three years and anything extra after that is a bonus to them really yeah you can't say that out loud that people get real butthurt about that. yeah they do yeah <laughs> um so anyway uh yeah i'm i'm, I'm with trey benson here chase mcclellan they're close though they're next to other in my rankings i think they're literally i'm gonna look that up for a sec two um, spots in apart for me three spots two spots apart yeah on the range other rb9 rb10 next to each other yeah, nine so. and eleven for me all right, let's head on over to the next one. Uh, sewing needle to the eye socket. Ouch. Yeah, I'm not going to take this one. All right, Katron Allen or Jam Miller? This is a tough one. Man, Jam Miller, by the way, we were talking about our League of Record draft. He fell to like, what, round 10? I got him 10 or 10, something. Yeah, so deep. Katron Allen went way before that. And that could be some of the production profile, I guess people think Katron Allen's going to still be pretty productive there. I happen to think that as Singleton gets more adept because Singleton was a, a little bit of a raw guy coming in more of like the physical profile of him, a physical uh, speed specimen that he'll, as he continues to grow in this system, that he's going to take more of the workload. So I don't know if really the production's there as well. I kind of view them similar. I kind of view them both as like guys who are going to be backups 
are going to get on the field a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know why I kept avoiding Jem. I just, I, I think I wanted production more um, throughout that draft. Maybe that's where CFB winning edge kind of, kind of diverted that draft a little bit, but and the NFL level, man, I still think best case scenario for both guys, Jam Miller is probably a better NFL asset. I, I view him as like, I try to think about like what's most likely going to happen to him. I know we have questions about his running ability. Um, so like, what is he like a Will Shepard, a Donovan Edwards as a runner, you know? Um, yeah. Will I don't think he get, yeah. I, oh yeah. Will Shepard, excuse me. What, what did I say? Will Will Shepard. <laughs> Vanderbilt wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. All right. Will Shipley, Will Shipley or like a Diamond Edwards here. Uh, like, a, like, I don't know, Sean Tucker. Sean Tucker had the heart condition. But I, I still think he's like a fourth rounder at worst. I really do. Like I just think that he had some run. Yeah. So, so that's, that's like kind of where I'm gonna, at. Yeah, you just kind of hit there. I think he has more versatility, which has more avenues to the next level. Whereas like Katron Allen, I just picture as like this like early down grinder who I'm – I mean, we'll see. We'll see how he tests and stuff like that. I'm not sure if he'll be like, you know, lights out. But Penn State does have a very good strength and conditioning program there that's gotten the best out of their athletes. So um, this one's close for me. It's definitely close. I think Katron stays four years too, by the way. I mean, I think people are underestimating how much Nick Stone is going to take away from him over the years. Like the split was like 170 to 150. I think I'm I'm generalizing here, so I I might not have the exact numbers right there. But I, I imagine by like, you know, Two years from now, where NFL draft, these guys are getting drafted. Nick Singleton is probably like 190, and then Katron's down to like 120, 110. And then the last draft I can think of where like two running backs got drafted from the same back room. I think it was like Javante who won the second, and then Michael Carter who won the fourth. You know, so I, and no one, no one gets excited over day three running backs like that. So I, I think, I know Katron's really high in a lot of field rankings. I think we were underestimating that he splits the backfield and that Singleton's going to take away from him, cannibalize him. Um, and then, I'm a little bit more interested if he stays that fourth year where he can be the lead role for one year. Yeah, I think that's, a good, that's actually a good point. If Singleton, you know, declares for the draft, Catron gets that one year to himself, you know, kind of like the Miles Sanders after uh, Saquon there, and he ended up becoming like a really high draft pick or whatever. So, yeah. Um, we'll, go, we'll go a little bit outside with this one. Alligator to the forearm, Trevor Etienne or Damian Martinez? This one was tough, man. I was actually, I looked at my rankings and then when I saw that Trevor Etienne was ranked above Damian Martinez, I almost wanted to flip it, but I've left it for now. Um, got him at 15 and 17 right now uh, okay. between the two okay. of them with it, with Etienne a little bit higher. Um, maybe just the profile, I guess, but Damian Martinez has a good profile too, man. Not, not so much a pedigree standpoint, but from the size speed standpoint, from early production standpoint, from heading into this year, the role we're going to be expecting to see from him, like Etienne still has Montreal Johnson to battle with. Who's really going to be like the main guy there? Is it going to be a, a split backfield the whole entire time going through Florida? Like, I don't know. I don't know who I, I might. I think that Etienne has pass catching upside. And I always talk about that because of his high school background. I know he didn't show as much of it last year, but I know it. he has that capability. And again, we've been talking about it all of this whole show that I think that's an avenue now to the NFL is that you're going to have to do a lot of stuff. Damian Martinez might just be looked at as, you know, like an early down grinder or something like that. So those are kind of like that. Maybe that's kind of my theory behind having one in front of the other. So for now, I think I'm keeping Etienne above just one spot there, but I would not be surprised if this was flipped by like week four. I got Martinez higher. I'm up there yeah. with the, I, the production profile. I don't have to question it. I know he's yeah. going to run for a thousand yards in the next like two seasons straight. Um, 
I just want to see him more involved in the passing game. And I want to get a little more creative on his own. And that's what I'm looking for year two. And then, like you said, Etienne splitting a field and you have to deal with all yeah. of that. So um, I'm also worried about Etienne's size. Like I know he's listed at 69 inches right now. Is that like five? Is five nine? What if he comes yeah. in at five eight? Like, I don't know. I, I don't have a hard threshold. My threshold is usually like five eight and under, like you're dead. But even at five eight, I'm not a fan of that size for running backs. Yeah, I, it doesn't bug me as much. He's kind of stout, but he came in really stout and shedded some weight. And then I don't know if he'll put some back on in like more muscle form, but yeah. Uh, they're also 15 and 16 for me. So they're right next to each other. So no complaints yeah. if anyone has them reversed. Uh, you're okay. I can, I couldn't phrase this one. I wrote this one down. I couldn't phrase this one correctly. So bear with me. You're about to get waterboarded with the Sani water, the Sani, <laughs> the worst water. You're getting waterboarded with the Sani. And an Italian mobster is asking you Ashton Genty or LeQuint Allen. This one's easy for me. I guess just because maybe Ashton Genty is a G5 guy. Um, well, cool. you're think- drowning. I think I, I might be drowning, but I'm going with the Quinn Allen, man. I think he has more upside. Um, if Ashton Genty was in a power five and even this year though, he's still not taking over the backfield. We're talking about it, you know, with split backfield. It's not like Ashton Genty's taking over the backfield um, over there yet. So LeQuinn Allen is going to be like the main guy this year. I think LeQuinn, like I talked about it in the show. I don't have to talk about it too much, but I think he's going to do a lot for his Debbie stock this year. And I think he's going to be ranked ahead of Genty and in, in all formats by the time this time next year. I, it's a shame George Kalani is there, dude. Because Genty, like in the bowl game, had 39 snaps. That was the most all season. He only eclipsed 20 snaps one other time. That was against Fresno State, where he went for 109 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he was an efficient runner. I mean, at the G5 level, though. And again, this is a true freshman, though. Uh, but if he can get and even a just a little bit more better, like a more efficient as a runner down the middle for a year or two, uh, this is going to be my. Well, actually, it already is my highest rated running back in the G5. And I think yeah. I'm going to be on the same as Jim Miller, you know, where I think he's a pass catching back at next level and can be a bit of a running, like a Chase Edmonds. I think he'd be a Chase Edmonds at next level. Mm-hmm. So um, I have like, I have Ashton higher, um, but also I really have a hard time in my head when I simplify and say G5 versus P5. Like, come on now, Mike. Like, come on. Let's get it. Yeah. Like, smartened up. Like, yeah. That is kind yeah. of the thing that goes through my mind, too. But yeah. Yeah. You know. All right, uh, last one. Uh, pliers are on the fingernail. Oscar Dope or Deuce Vaughn? Or Deuce Robinson, excuse me. Deuce Robinson. This one's tough. Um, I think I, I can start me, off. Yeah, you I'll go start ahead. off with this one. Because I got annoyed in the league of record when Felix took Deuce at the sixth round, but Oscar Dope fell to the eighth. Like everyone forgot how good Oscar Dope was in the spring game. You know how people hype up spring game players here and there? Oscar Dope destroyed as a true freshman in spring game for Alabama, or excuse me, for Georgia. Um, and it's like he's like forgotten. I mean, he's six foot six. He's prototypical size as a tight end. I think he's a phenomenal pass catcher. He needs to work on his blocking, but he has the size, like as far as the frame goes, he has the frame for it to add that muscle and be a all versatile tight end. Not just a dynamic offensive weapon like Brock Bowers is, but he can do both, in my opinion. So, um, it might not fully be unleashed next year, but I feel like people are forgetting that Oscar Delp exists. And I think he's just very clearly an underrated tier one tight end. Yeah, I think, I don't know, with with Robinson, like the track record for five-star tight ends getting drafted highly is, is abysmal. Is, no, it's good. Compared to the other ones. 
It's... No, five-star tight ends have like a hundred percent draft rate over the last like ten years. They okay. always get drafted. Um, I'm Chris Moxley did a study on it. I still have like the sheets or whatever. But yeah, five-star tight ends over like the last ten years um, have been have all been drafted like a hundred percent of the time. There isn't there actually isn't that many. I think there that only accounts for like five or six tight ends, but. Yeah, I mean, and then we'll see what happens with Eric Gilbert, obviously. I don't know what's going to happen with him. if he's still, He'll still get drafted, though, so I think he'll still help that ratio out. Um, so right now, looking at my rankings, I did have Oscar Delp ahead, but with Deuce Robinson like kind of losing some steam um, looking towards baseball, he didn't get drafted in that draft um, that just recently happened. DJ, you got drafted in that draft, by the way, in like round 20 or something like that, which is kind of funny. Yeah, but Deuce Robinson didn't get drafted at all. So like things are starting to look up for him a little bit. Like I'm, I'm kind of getting more interested for now. I'm just going to stick with Oscar Delp because that's a tight end factory right there. If he steps in next year into like Brock Bauer, Brock Bauer's role, then that's going to be big time for him. He's going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of production there and help himself uh, heading into the draft. So for now I'm sticking with Oscar Delp, but with the recent things that have happened with him, he's right up there at four for me with, uh, for Deuce Robinson. He was tight end one in his class. He wasn't a five star, but he was tight end one. Yes. Yeah. All right, Corey, that wraps it up. Unless you want to talk about more football with no. our awesome chemistry. No, I got to go to work, man. <laughs> all right, whatever. You never stick around anymore. I don't even know who you are anymore. It's all about work. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I'm sorry. We don't we don't shop at Homefield Apparel anymore with our code Canvas number two Canton for 15% off. I know. I'm, we'll, uh, we'll create a big bag and use that because I still have a couple right. emails we can use. Nice. I'm collecting them too. People don't know, but I'm collecting them. Yeah. Watch your emails. <laughs> All right, guys. That ends our show for tonight. From Corey and from Mike, good night and good luck. <laughs>